Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, happy Sunday, everyone. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta, matchmaker, dating coach, and founder of singleinthecity.ca. With the recent news of Bill and Melinda Gates' divorce, we've been looking at an interesting trend. Are great divorces on the rise? Tonight, we'll be exploring these older divorces with our guests, Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, veteran marriage and family therapists and authors of Home Will Never Be the Same Again, a guide for adult children of gray divorce. Tonight, we'll be exploring the idea of gray divorce, how to decide if it is the right thing to do. Well, welcome, guys. How are you? Thank you. Very good, Lauren. Thanks for having us. Of course. I just thought it was an interesting topic. Um, So let's dive in. So first of all, let's chat a little bit about gray divorce, Um, because I'll be honest. I mean, I've never really heard that term. So um, it was brought to my attention by your publicist. I was like, oh, cool. So I started looking into it, and I'm like, interesting. So how do you guys define gray divorce? Well, I believe the term was originally used by the AARP. It's an association of retired people. <laughs> and then okay. later on, researchers at Bowling Green State University did research and found that the divorce rate for people uh, 50 and over had actually doubled between 1990 and 2015, and they predicted that it was going to triple by 2030. And we discovered that different countries have different names for it. Here in the United States, where they call it the Great Divorce, in Britain, they call it Silver Splitters, and we were told by a Canadian attorney in Toronto that they're called Diamond Divorces up there. And we think the Japanese nailed it when they called it Retired Husband Syndrome. And it seems to be primarily baby boomers and the next generation coming up from them. So people 45 and up now, I would say. And we've known people who've had people come into their offices well into their 80s who are divorcing. And most of the time, it's women initiating the divorce. Mm-hmm. They've had enough. <laughs> so we, we seem to be seeing this increase uh, trend of older couples getting divorced after being together for a long period of time. For example, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates were married for something like 27 years uh, before recently announcing that they're splitting ways. Why do you think that we're seeing more older couples divorcing today? Well, you know, Laura, there are many reasons for this uh, that, that we've discovered in the research uh, we're living longer. That's a big issue. Um, and when people may be married in their 20s or 30s, and they've been married for 20 or 30 more years, sometimes 40 years, and they're looking at maybe 20 or 30 or 40 years more of life, if they weren't that happy all along, it's kind of a um, warning sign, a, a red signal that maybe we don't want to continue in this marriage. And what we also know from the research in the United States is that in 2001, 45% of Americans considered divorce morally acceptable. In 2014, 69% considered it morally acceptable. So it seems like being happy has outranked the traditional till death do us part. Also, there's an economic reason women generally, and I know in Canada and in the U.S., 
more, the majority are working outside the home. Uh, so the, they have some of their own money. Sometimes they're even the higher wage, wage earner. So they aren't as dependent on their husbands or partners as in previous generations. Right. And I, I guess if you're thinking about getting divorced after, you know, a certain age of 60 or 70, you have to decide, mm-hmm. it, you know, if, if staying in the marriage is worth what you would be giving up. But what, at what point do you say, okay, you know, we're just too old to get a divorce. I mean, if you're in your 80s, right, like, does getting a divorce really make sense? I, would, I wouldn't think so. I would, I would think, okay, just write it out. Right? Like, I mean, you've gone this long. You're in your 80s. just doesn't make sense to me. But you guys are saying that people are getting divorced in their 80s. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's the fastest growing population. Go ahead, Bruce. Yeah, well, I guess it depends on how bad it is for the person in the relationship. If they're, I remember one time somebody uh, said it really well. They said, I'd rather be alone than tormented. So if people have reached that point, and if they put work into trying to save the marriage, if they haven't maybe worked with a professional, and, and you'd be surprised, or a lot of people would be surprised how much a uh, family therapist can help people uh, uh, re- reignite their marriage. And if these people uh, ever had anything in common, if they didn't just like park it when they were 20 and just dive into separate lives, it, it's possible that people could salvage their marriage. But if they can't and they just have to ask themselves, uh, is this how I want to spend my remaining years? And if in Obviously, for you know some couples, it's going to be a financial decision. We just can't afford to do it. But for others, um, it, it well the Gates, for instance. We while we don't know them personally, and we can only speculate what's going on with them. I suspect that financial insecurity is not going to be one of the issues for either one of them or their children. So that you know that's taken off the table. And so it really just depends on the couple and what's been going on with them. And I had a a woman who was 85 one time uh, living in a retirement community telling me that, you know, she was lonely and, you know, she wanted to, she, uh, I think her husband had died or they divorced maybe 15 years before, but she was disappointed because none of the men in her community could really keep up with her and she was looking to date. Yeah. Well, I just think that, you know, a divorce is so stressful. So why put all that unnecessary stress on your life at the age of 80, where you may not have, you know, that many more years to live, right? So that's the way I would look at it. That's certainly a concern. And, you know, Laura, most people still don't know that there are, since the 1980s and 90s, there have been two trends in divorce. Uh, the divorce processes, mediation and collaborative divorce, and even cooperative divorce, where it isn't, doesn't have to be the bloodbath that people tr- traditionally think of as divorce. And so, you know, if people wanted to work with, I mean, we're not advocating divorce, but sometimes it happens, as, as Bruce has just described and as I described, that they just want out. And so there are more peaceful, dignified, respectful processes that are out of court, that are completely legal in the United States, and I know in Canada, so we have a lot of colleagues up there uh, that we've gotten to know over the years, past 20 years. So it doesn't have to be that negative, you know, divorce process that people typically think of uh, when they think of divorce. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys think the pandemic has played a role in this increased number of gray divorces? 
Well, we don't know yet because of the, you know, really we're, we haven't even come out of it. And as you were saying, you're just getting walked back. Are we ever going to get out of it? Are we ever going to get yeah. out of it? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I sure hope so. But we can look at some of the research that was done uh, in China and Italy when they had their first uh uh, slowed down and it looked like they were going to get out of it before it broke out again and the divorce rate went up for them and in our own practices we're learning that people are uh, putting more stresses and strains on the marriage by being locked together and the normal things people would do to relieve that are being you know have been taken away like going out to restaurants or traveling or going to the gym um, and when you're just with the same person all the time, and, and if, if all your conversations are those family business conversations that people have to have, which usually do not include, honey, what are we going to do with all this extra money? It's usually about something they're giving up or going to have to cut back on or the kids need or uh, things of that nature. And so that starts to create a negative bias in the brain with your partner. And so you know, again, we, there's been no research on it yet uh, locally, but we're pretty convinced there's going to be uh, a lot of people are going to be upheaved by this. Yeah. Well, and, and after being together for such a long period of time, you know, we might wonder, why can't they just work it out? You know, like, why not? Like, why not seek therapy? Um, it, it seems like maybe they've been doing all right until this point, or maybe they haven't. Uh, what do you think is changing right now? Well, I, you know, what we know is that as some of the things that Bruce already described was people are forced, even that breakups typically spike after families have spent extended time together, like even during the winter holidays or vacations. And so as Bruce said, it, it's conceivable that couples that have been in this age group for so long uh, and married, maybe they have never dealt with the cracks that were in their their marriages, and found that those cracks have become huge, like earthquake faults or vortexes or something. Um, and also, if people don't like or love or respect each other anymore, I think that happiness statistic that I quoted earlier is really important to keep in touch with because, you know, we are we live in cultures that are saying it's more important to be happy than till death do us part. And then during the pandemic, we know from research that depression, suicide, suicides and suicidal thinking, substance abuse, anxiety, all of that have risen. And so a lot of times people are looking for happiness out of those emotional states as well. Yeah. And, um, and Laura, you might, might be aware of this, but the uh, Gottman Institute up at the University of Washington some years ago was trying to find if there are some variables you can use to accurately predict who's going to divorce and who isn't. And the, the one thing they found that you can actually quantify really surprised them. And that is when the ratio of positive to negative interactions falls below five to one. And so in a, in a relationship like a marriage, it's intimate. You really want to go for more six or seven to one. So if you think of it, a, a negative interaction is just an angry or uh, negative thought about the other person, or it can be a, an argument or uh, a real blow up or, or showing, con if it gets to the point of showing contempt, then it's pretty doomed. But falling below that five to one ratio, people often will say, 
well, we get along most of the time. Well, 80%, what, that's most of the time, but that's only four to one. And this was validated and verified in functional MRIs. And so it turned out that even the regular interactions we have with people that we're not that close to, if they fall below three to one, then the relationship starts to dissolve. And in businesses, partnerships, if it falls below five to one, the same thing happens. We need to take a break. We'll continue with this conversation. Is divorce a solution? Let's talk about that or continue talking about that when we come back after this message. Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bilotta, with our guests, Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, discussing the increased trend of great divorce. Let's get back into it. Okay, so I'm sure that many people in longer marriages have been going through some struggles over the past year and a half and might be thinking about divorce. How can they tell if this is the right decision for them? Well, you know what? That's a really good question, and and I wish there were a lot of easy answers. We have a few. One is it's usually best for people to discuss these questions with a neutral professional like a clergy person or a psychologist, a therapist, marriage and family therapist, social worker, rather than your best friends, because sometimes best friends only see our side of it, you know? Um, and also there's a technique called uh, modality in the therapy world called discernment counseling. And it's really been devised specifically to help people figure out, you know, it, to discern, is this the best option for me or not? Uh, another option is to you know, book a time with a family lawyer in the in your jurisdiction to just learn about all the ins and outs of the divorce process legally and financially and emotionally. That would be with a therapist or clergy, so that you're getting some uh, neutral information because we make our best decisions when we have you know, neutral information that's accurate. And then also maybe book a, a time with a financial professional to go over your finances. So it may not be that the grass is going to be greener, you know, financially uh, on the other side if, if you do divorce. I guess if you can't stand the person, I mean, that's a good indication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a good hint anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of at the, the bottom line of it, isn't it, Laura? <laughs> Yeah. What about if you've decided that you want to go through with this? How can we start the process and then maybe approach your partner with this? Probably the single biggest decision a divorcing uh, couple is going to make if, uh, after they've decided that they want to divorce is which divorce process is right for them. And in most uh, jurisdictions, there's four ways to divorce. There's do it yourself. There's uh, what most people do, which is a litigation, which we refer to as combat divorce. Uh, but then there are a couple of other processes that are more non-adversarial. There's a collaborative divorce and mediation. And those last two options actually are, we think, are better suited for most people 
to avoid doing the, the most harm to their family during the divorce. And, and Carol, you recently wrote something on how somebody could peacefully ask for a divorce. So maybe you'd like to share that. Yes, please. Sure, sure. Um, we've already talked about some of it. You know, speak with a mutual professional or professional first, first so that you get yourself sorted out uh, with some mutual professional information. And then plan a time in person that's like a calm, quiet time, not when you're both stressed maybe from work or, you know, your your kids are going through tra- trauma or difficulties, adult children or minor children. Um, and then simply say, I have something that, you know, I've been wanting to talk about with you. Speak about your own self, I, not we or you. I've decided that I want to end the marriage. You know, the word divorce is, has such a loaded connotation that uh, you can really help your spouse hear you if you don't even use the word divorce. Now, they might say, so does that mean you want to get a divorce? And you say yes. But in the marriage is a little bit different. And frankly, that is what you're doing. Uh, and then if you can say this truthfully, and I really want to do this in a respectful, peaceful, dignified way. I don't want, you know, a bloodbath. I don't want combat divorce. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to go with me and talk with a mediator or a collaborative professional about these people out of court processes. Uh, I want to keep the family focused. I don't want, I want us to be able to tell friends and family members, community members, our children, that there is no bad guy, good guy parent here, if you have children, or just no bad guy, good guy spouse. We, I don't want us to have to lose our friend group, be alienated from extended family members. You know how so many families draw battle lines during all this. And uh, if we can remain friendly, you know, during and after the divorce, that minimizes the losses that so much of ending a marriage create. Mm-hmm. And that might help that might help your spouse be able to hear you better. And would you be willing to talk with someone with me about this? Right. And you have to be aware of that or be prepared for the fact that, you know, someone may not give you a divorce at that age. And and you have to be okay with a separation. Right. I would assume. Exactly. Exactly. You can't force someone to sign papers if they're not willing to sign the papers. Right, right, and I, I don't know, I don't know Canada law, and I don't know the law in all of the U.S. I know in California it only takes one person to divorce, and so uh, whatever jurisdiction your listeners are in, that's another reason to you know consult with a, a family lawyer. Um, and the last very important consideration is, if you fear that your spouse will become violent, more, even more than angry, but violent. But anger counts as well. Plan to do this in a public place, like a restaurant or cafe that's not super busy, or in a park, or have a, a, a friend be in a car nearby where he or she could see what's going on. And if necessary, hopefully not, but call 911 if it gets to be you know, a dangerous situation where you can simply walk away and get in the car with that friend. So we need to be prepared yeah. for all those eventualities. 
And, and Laura, there are some uh, really capable uh, professionals who work in uh, alternative dispute uh, resolution divorces right there in, in the Toronto area. There's uh, social worker Gary Derenfeld, who's in the Hamilton area. Uh, Victoria Smith is right there in Toronto. And Carol, I, I'm just having one of those uh, space out moments. There's an attorney in Barrie, Ontario. Brian Galbraith. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're really well-known people. And if you have people in other parts of Canada, Jacinta Gallant is really internationally a leader in this process. And she's in court. Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island, yes. Right. Okay, so at this point, right, um, you guys are ready to get a divorce. You've been together for so long. Everything is intertwined. I mean, your money, your home, your friends. Is there a way to make this transition easier? Uh, yes. It, it's by if you are really spend some time uh, maybe prepping your own relatives, your, your siblings, which were, if you've got kids, those are the aunts, the uncles, cousins, grandparents of your kids. And if you could let them know that you don't want them being um, invited to bash the other parent conversations and that you really don't want them to have to choose up sides. So if you have kids, you can, uh, and these are, we're talking about adult children too. If you can let them know that you respect your children's right to have their own individual relationship with each parent, each of their own parents, and that it's a different relationship than you have with your about-to-be-divorced spouse, and you can really spare your family a lot of that infighting that leads to family civil wars. Also, um, if you can choose one of these non-adversarial processes, and you will have a team of people who know how to help you dampen down the fight. So when it all is uh, said and done, you haven't wasted all of your family resources in tearing each other apart. And Carol, I know I'm probably forgetting a bunch, so feel free to chime in. I think, Bruce, what you said is really foundational to uh, one of the things that we know and what the research indicates that High-conflict divorce, meaning battle divorce, and when the parents are at each other's throats, and as we've described earlier, is the single predictor, single most accurate predictor of the adjustment of the minor and adult children and the parents. So if you succeed, as Ruth was describing, and we, we call it writing your divorce story and then sharing it with your uh, friends, family members, extended family, community members. What I I was saying a minute ago, and so was Bruce, about there's no bad guy, good guys here. We want to proceed respectfully and dignified and everything I already said. Um, That can minimize the conflict, and it can also make the divorce process less painful emotionally and financially. A lot of money is wasted arguing. And strangers in black robes aren't going to be living with whatever they order for people in their divorce proceeding. So you're better off figuring out your own solutions. And you can do that with some of the kind of professionals we've already mentioned. I hear what you're saying. Like, you know, there's no bad guy here and that the children shouldn't get involved and um, they shouldn't be choosing, but I mean, as adult children, we tend to know what's going on, especially if our parents have been arguing for years. We, we, we know, 
So sometimes it would be difficult not to choose sides, you know, especially if, if there's one parent that's clearly at fault most of the time for what's going on or for the wrongdoing in the relationship. Seems like that would be an obvious thing, and for some families it is, but there's other times when, uh, you know, one sibling might still want to have a relationship with the parent that the other one has decided is the the problem and cut off, and then they may start treating that sibling as if they're betraying the family or betraying the other parent, And, and, and we think that it's good to have a discussion, and again, maybe with a professional, on boundary issues. So who really has the right to tell you which of your parents you're allowed to have a relationship with and which ones you're not. And those things where the parents sometimes are so angry or hurt that they can't put their hurt and anger aside and attend a uh, a birth or a, a wedding or a graduation or a grandkid's uh, birthday party. And so these celebrations that are supposed to be about the person being honored turn into um, family traumas. And then the uh, adult children have to figure out things like, uh, you know, how many Thanksgivings are we going to have? And uh, what about one parent needing more money, more financial or emotional support? And then if that's draining my nuclear family, my spouse might not be so committed to my helping my parents. And I might feel guilty if I don't help the one that needs it. So there's so many changes that are going to happen in a family in the parents uh, divorce and most people treat adult children of divorce as uh, you know it's just one of those things just a bump in the life you're lucky it didn't happen when you were a kid but it, it impacts people in ways they never would have thought okay that's awesome Lynn, and i want to discuss that we're going to uncover how divorce later in affects adult children when we come back after this message Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And we're back. It's Sunday night, and you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show. This is Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta with my guests, Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, discussing gray divorce and how to know if it's the right decision for you. Let's jump right back in. So guys, we know that divorce with younger children is always difficult, and we don't really seem to think about what happens when the children of a divorced couple are adults. I can see the children grieving, you know, tremendous loss after all these years of celebrations and get-togethers and family vacations all coming to an end. This would be quite a difficult thing to accept and get over. So what are some other ways that divorce later in the game affects adult children? Well, adult children, depending on their stage in life, their, their ad- developmental stage, you know, most people don't think of adults as going through developmental stages, but we certainly do just as minor children do. They're just different stages. So the earliest stage of adult development is 18 to 25-ish. And that's when it makes sense, you know, they're leaving home to go to college, trade school, working, some other, you know, uh, leaving the nest, so to speak. <clears throat> and a lot of times those adult children are dependent still or partially dependent on their parents for financial assistance. So if they're in college or special training, and so they worry and sometimes do lose 
the support, the financial support of their parents, which is another reason to pick a divorce process that's less expensive than uh, litigation typically is. Uh, and the middle, the middle-aged adult children, 25 to 40-ish, often they're getting established in their careers, and maybe they've married, maybe they have their own children, and they're in what we call the sandwich generation between the younger, uh, the younger generations, maybe their children, and their older parents, and they're you know feeling stress at work, they're feeling stress in their marriage. Maybe both parents are trying to rely too much on them emotionally or even financially. So often they're getting stress from a lot of different directions. So that's stressful for them, obviously. And then the older uh, adult children, 40s to 60s, 65-ish, then obviously their parents are much older. And often concerns for them are that maybe their parents are vulnerable to, say, con people, uh, you know, trying to take their money, get their estate, um, or maybe they're vulnerable health-wise. They're depressed or so anxious if they're still working that they can't work. So we have a lot of different concerns, and some of those concerns can go across all the developmental stages for adults as well. In addition to some of the issues that Bruce already mentioned about holidays, how are the families going to get along or not, a lot of adult children report in the research that they start questioning their own ability to maintain a healthy relationship because they fear the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So often they start having marital issues, or if they're not married but they're in a long-term relationship, um, they start to question their ability, as I just said. So a lot of variables, a lot of stressors that adult children report in the research. For people who are going through a great divorce, how do you talk to your adult children about this? I mean, may come as a shock to some. I mean, they may mm-hmm. notice that their parents are have been fighting and arguing for years, but you wouldn't think like maybe at 60, 70, 80, in their 80s, they're going to get a divorce. Um, do you think that there are better ways to bring this up to help, you know, the children understand the situation better? Well, it's much like you might do with younger children. Uh, is if possible, talk to them all together. Now, if obviously, um, if they're adult children and they're living out of the area, that, that may not be possible to do it in person, but you can still do it through Zoom or something like that. And the parents should get together and, as Carol mentioned earlier, create their divorce story that doesn't include heroes and villains. Just this is where we've, we've come in our relationship. Yeah, and you could tell them about the effort you've made to save it, and it doesn't have anything to do with them, and that you're, you're both agreeing that this is what you want to do. And then it's really important to listen to your adult children and not to try and talk them out of feeling bad or tell them, oh, don't worry about it or this will be fine. There's a, an abundance of research that shows that deep listening, where someone just really understands what you're saying and conveys they understand, helps people with healing. So those are two good beginnings. And, and Carol, um, I wanted to add that there's a special problem that uh, actually was brought up by a Canadian publication that asked us to write an article on it last year. And how it's 
really difficult when the divorcing parent is the caregiver of the other partner and how those responsibilities are likely now to fall on one of the adult children. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important for that co-parent to bring the the adult kids up to date on who's in charge of the medical uh, assistance, what the routines are, introduce them to the professionals who are doing it, and help them learn um, everything they can about helping out with that. Because if they don't, the adult child or children who, quote-unquote, get stuck with this one uh, without any help in making the transition would have real ample cause for resentment for a long time. So another important topic for helping your adult children cope is if there's an estate, uh, that they will be inheriting, uh, consult with an estate planning or uh, probate attorney in your jurisdiction to help you learn about the best ways to help your adult children if something were to happen to you sooner or later, it will happen to all of us, and then reassure your adult children that you're doing this because a lot of times with a second marriage, uh, depending on the jurisdiction, the estate goes to the new spouse and it doesn't go to the children, so there are all kinds of legal issues to work out there. So that's something that a lot of people don't think about ahead of time, and it's a great relief to the adult children. In fact, we, a colleague of ours who does estate and probate planning uh, was gracious to write a segment in the book directed at the parents, directed at the parents to uh, help them understand about the estate and probate planning and how that's a benefit to their adult children. Avoid role reversals as well, where you're depending on your adult child to be your therapist, your dating buddy, uh, things like that. That's not appropriate. Get professional help or at least talk with a good friend. Don't burden your children with those kind of issues. Exactly. Parents should also avoid trying to force them or their children to choose a side because that can definitely get damaging. We need to take a break, guys. We are talking about great divorce. Divorce later on in life. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Thanks for tuning in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca with tonight's guests, Carol Hughes and Bruce Fredenberg, who are sharing insight into great divorce and why it's on the rise. So let's get back at it. So, okay, what advice do you have for people who have gone through a great divorce? and are now looking at dating again after being with the same person for so long. So how do you start getting back out there? These people have been married for 20, 30, maybe 40 years. And so likely uh, they they don't have a lot of recent dating experience. And um, in in many ways, the the norms have changed. But some things hold true. And one of them is, uh, in fact, Chris Rock has a great line. I love it. He says, uh, remember, when you first meet me, the first 90 days, you're not meeting me, you're meeting my representative. 
And mm. you know, people can get swept up by somebody who seems to be just wonderful. When people tell me they found their soulmate, I say, oh, that's interesting. That's really good. So how did they react to your cranky side? Have you shown them your anger yet? And they'll say, well, well, no. And I, I said, well, why not? And then they'll explain the obvious reasons why not. And I'll say, well, I wonder what they haven't shown you yet. But if somebody's, you know, 60, 70, 80, they, they're not necessarily going to have 18 months that they want to screen everybody or, or two years. But one good thing to do, and I find that uh, regardless of the age, is if somebody's really getting serious about somebody, I find it's a good idea for them to arrange to have a lunch or a dinner or a coffee meeting uh, with one of their uh friends of the opposite gender, for instance, if it was you, you take a man with you um, that to meet this new person, because it's my experience that a woman will spot a man's BS quicker than a man will, and vice versa, a man will spot a man's BS differently than a woman will. Like, it isn't that a woman can't fool you, Laura, but she has to use totally different tactics to fool you than to fool me, and you would spot it for me. And it doesn't mean you have to think they're a wonderful person, but at least you'd be able to spot some of the red flags that, that your male friends might be missing. So those are my two first tips, and Carol? I'm not sure how the person you're going on a date with would, would uh, receive that. If if you brought a friend, a friend along to the date, I would be like, what? Not a first date. I'm talking about if it's somebody that you think that you're, you know, you're, oh, you're thinking course, you're gonna, maybe having your life for a while. And you just, but you know, you, it's all, you know, roses and hormones for you at that point. So it might be nice just to have somebody check in and see if this person's for real. Yeah, well, I always suggest, you know, you want to wait until your divorce or separation is final before you start dating. Um, Even if you know your marriage is truly over, you still need to give yourself some time and space. And I recommend that you should wait at least a year because separation or divorce is an Mm -hmm. emotionally draining time. And I feel that you need to do some healing work to be able to move forward in a healthy way with somebody in the future. And then I also suggest to set reasonable expectations. You don't have to start dating assuming that you're going to get married, right? (laughs) So look at it Mm -hmm. as an experience to learn more about yourself and the new life that you're creating for yourself moving forward. And then I always suggest, and you kind of touched on that as well, is to go slow. Go slow at first. Take your time getting Mm -hmm. to know someone because you don't know this person. So don't rush uh, the last thing you want to do is to, is introduce this new partner to your family. So don't rush when you're doing that, okay? So spend at least, I don't know, six months getting to know somebody to make sure that, that you know, you've qualified them and you really want them around. You want them in your future before you start introducing them to your children. And then another thing that's really important as well is to trust yourself. If you have a bad feeling about someone, then move on. Don't be afraid to end a date or to stop dating someone if you sense those red flags. Carol, do you have any more tips? I do. This is a, a little different angle of the tip. I want to talk again about the, this is minor and adult children and piggyback on what you said a minute ago, Laura. Take your time. Six months really isn't long enough in, in our experience as therapists for many years to really stuff out uh, how honest and good is this person. And until you're really sure that this might be a long-term partnership or even marriage, don't introduce them to, you know, your family, your children for sure, because minor and adult children in general are not as happy about you moving on with your new life as you would want them to be. 
because they're dealing with the losses that they're experiencing that will always be losses. Mom and dad are not together anymore while you're looking forward to where you're going, you know, and hopefully more happiness than you had. So you're in different places. Your children and you are in different places. That's really important to remember, and it will make things better for everybody. Well, thank you so much for an amazing episode, um, guys. And where can people learn more about your book and maybe seek you guys out just in case they'd like to, um, you know, learn more about your services? Uh, a good place to start would be with our book, which has really gotten a lot of really great reviews from divorce professionals. This is an underserved population or really an unserved. So our book is Home Will Never Be the Same Again, A Guide for Adult Children with Gray Divorce. And it can be found on Amazon. It's probably the easiest place to find it. It's available in Amazon Canada as well as the U.S. and, and Britain and the, or from the publisher, Roman and Littlefield. Uh, Carol? Uh, also, you can find uh, my website is called Divorce Peacemaking. Dot com. You can email me via that or uh, drcarolhughes.com. Bruce? And my website is orangecountydivorcecoach.com, and I'm located in Laguna Hills, California. And you can also find me at the website of Collaborative Divorce Solutions, Orange County, CDSOC, where you'll find me and Carol if you look under Find a Professional. Thank you so, so much. And once you've done the work and you're ready to get back out there and you're having a difficult time getting back out there uh, and need help, I can help you with that because that's one of my specialties. I help people figure out what they're looking for, how to get themselves back out there, and how to navigate the modern dating scene with ease. I have a master class coming up, and to get on the waiting list, you can email me, laura at singleinthecity.ca, or send me a direct message on Instagram with the word dating waitlist and I will send you the link to get on the waitlist. Thank you so much guys for joining me today. Everybody, thank you for joining us again. Until next Sunday for another show. Good night. 